Hi, I'm Ian, and this is Why Whiskey, a history podcast with a whiskey problem. Or is it a whiskey podcast with a history problem? We'll let you decide. Belly up to the bar, grab a drink, and let's talk. We are back at the bar of questionable life choices. I feel like it's been a fucking year. Oh my God. This is awesome. So I am back with you today with uh, new stuff and new hardware and new content and all kinds of crazy stuff. So first off, let me catch up. Uh, since our last show, which would have been the uh, my sit down with Melissa talking about COVID, right? So things at work have gone nuts. Uh big rush to have this massive event. Some of y'all may have heard about it. Uh, there was a big graduation ceremony at a certain academy. The president came. Anyway, big involvement in that. Lots of crazy stuff happening there. In the midst of all this, I decide that it is time to maybe do some new shit. So, you'll see there's new cover art on the show. Uh, and you'll also notice maybe that we've got some new music. So, yeah, I, I'm a real boy now. I licensed music. That's that's our music, which is awesome. I'm really excited about that. Uh, and speaking of music and in the, the uh, spirit of new music, today we are going to be talking to you about an incredible musician. Some of you may know him as Sachmo, Pops. If you're still drawing a blank, it's the great jazz trumpet player and vocalist, Louis Armstrong. So, do me a favor, grab a quick drink, have a seat with me, and let's talk about Louis for just a little bit. All right, so before we get too deep into it, let's talk about the whiskey for tonight. So tonight I have grabbed a bottle of uh, Baker's 7-Year 107 Proof Single Barrel. This is their new release. So this is uh, this was barreled in January of 2011. I've probably drank this on the show once before already. This is really good stuff. Serial number 222-631 out of Warehouse CL5. Awesome stuff. So Baker Beam, this is his thing. Comes out of uh, the Beam Distillery. Their old stuff was awesome, and then they rebranded. They also have like a 13-year. I haven't tried that yet. Oh, this is so good. 
Mm. Once once it hits the lips. There we go. All right. So, oh, Louis Armstrong, right? So he was born Daniel Louis Armstrong. Uh, he was born in what they call the uh, it was the uptown part of New Orleans or the battleground. It was the nickname of the the neighborhood that he uh, was born in and and lived in. It was notoriously poor and poverty stricken, so that's kind of where uh, where the name derived from. His parents, Willie and Mary Ann, um, they were. Uh, Willie worked in a uh, a local factory, and he wasn't around much. Actually, he right after Armstrong was born, he bailed, just disappeared, took off, and so he was left. Uh, Lewis and his sister were left to be raised by his mother, who was a prostitute. Uh, so she would often leave them with the grandmother uh, while she was out doing uh, doing her thing, right? Uh, his sister's name was Beatrice, but he called her Mama Lucy. I thought that was kind of cute. So he was born on August 4th of 1901. Now, uh, he lied about his age. So... Uh, which is very interesting because and 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 it stuck for the longest time and a lot of the the articles and all this stuff that I was going through and I was reading, I was seeing you know uh, you know July fourth of nineteen hundred and I was like well wait a sec like that's hold on like that's yeah it didn't make sense and then it course corrects so that did not happen like his actual birthday didn't come about until like the eighties until the nineteen eighties. That was when it was like it was known and it got and it got fixed. So you can still go find some articles about him that have that July fourth of nineteen hundred birthday listed as his birthday, which is is humorous. I, I think that was that's just kind of one of those weird quirky things. As I was going through my notes and I'm like, wait a second, I got two different birthdays here. What the where does this happen? And I went back and dig through and and you kind of see where that where that all came about from. It was very cool. So uh, he goes to school. Until about fifth grade, and then he's got to stop going to school because now it's time for him to go to work and help provide for his family. He gets a job with this Jewish family who are, they deliver coal throughout like the red light district of, uh, of New Orleans, and they're junk collectors. So the Karnofskis were the family, right? So Mr. Karnofsky would be the person who bought Lewis his very first cornet. Uh, he ended up, uh, it was $5. Uh, he advanced $2 uh, of it to uh, to Lewis so he could buy it and then had Lewis uh, work it off to the tune of like 50 cents a week until it was all paid off. And he starts jamming and he starts going. So in 1913, at the age of 12, Lewis gets his stepfather's gun and does what is custom in, in New Orleans at the time, and he fires off a couple of blank rounds in celebration of New Year's. Well, he's a guy shooting a gun in the city, and he gets snatched up. He then gets put into this juvenile de- detention, uh, jail, whatever you want to call it, and there he links in with Peter Davis, who gives his, uh, Lewis his very first formal training on the cornet. And Lewis is enthralled by this. He's amazed by it, and he soaks it up and goes so hard and so fast that soon he is actually leading the band 
the 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 jail the, the juvenile detention center has a band and he's he's now gone from a student now he's now leading this I think it was like a, a five piece band that they had so uh, this this is where he starts this is where his love of music and his love for the cornet uh, just kind of falls apart or, or not falls apart um, falls into place and and begins to thrive and grow. Coming out of uh, coming out of the the detention center, right? Uh, shortly after that, he meets his first wife, and they get married. She uh, was a uh, her name was Daisy Parker. They got married in 1919. Uh, they were married until 1923. Their relationship was known to be violent and loud. Violent and loud. Well, not sure exactly what that means. Now, uh, Daisy was a lady of the night. So I can assume that there was some some tension about that there. Uh, they kind of met as, as he was uh, he went from uh, client to husband. <laughs> so uh, she actually uh, she had a common law husband. So, so Lewis had to get a little weird and and then go and actually like formally marry her in the courthouse and stuff. Very very interesting story there. So so Daisy Parker, she's she's around right now. He's coming out and now he starts he starts playing for honky tonks and he starts playing for uh, you know the bars and stuff and uh, he starts to engage in a practice that is called carving. This is awesome. So advertisements are on wagons. Right, you know, because you know the you know like the light up signs on the taxis that that advertise stuff. Same thing, except it's a horse drawn wagon, and there's people playing music to get your attention to look at the advertisement. So what would happen is when they would have these carving battles, these two uh, advertisement wagons would come together at a corner or something, and they would you know they'd link up, and there would be a battle, a legit battle of musicians. Uh, between this one and and this one, and one of Armstrong's, uh, I'm not going to say nemesis, but one of his uh, greatest competitors would be a guy by the name of Henry Kid Renna. He'd also compete against Buddy Pettit, uh, a couple other names, Sam Morgan. And so uh, they would have these competitions, and Lewis was very humble, not really, uh, and said every once in a while he thought maybe he might have lost these things. But it was just these big battles of, of cornets. Now, some of y'all are thinking cornets. Now, isn't, isn't Armstrong known for his trumpet playing? And yes, he absolutely is. He wouldn't pick up a trumpet uh, until 1926, however. So, difference between a coronet and a trumpet. So, coronet has 480-degree turns on it, right? A trumpet only has two. So, if you follow the tubing, uh, you can see that there's a, two additional turns on the coronet. Also, it is... The, the average length of a trumpet is 19 inches. Coronets are tend to be a little bit smaller, 13 to 16 inches. The mouthpiece, uh, it has a, on a trumpet, is very shallow and it's kind of bowl shaped. Where uh, the cornets is much deeper. Now these, the mouthpieces will come into effect later on with Lewis and his lips and, and his embouchure, as they call it, right? So 
The bore of a trumpet, which is the, the tube, stays the exact same diameter from the, from the mouthpiece all the way out to the bell, whereas the cornet, it gradually grows. The tones are warmer and softer and, and tend to be a little bit more round with a cornet than they do the trumpet. We hear that trumpet, we think of you know, like the marching bands or, or some of Lewis's solos. You know where he just freaking you just hear that that screaming uh, trumpet from the from the tippy top and just giving it to you. Uh, one uh, solo that that comes to mind is uh, "A Kiss to Build a Dream On." Um, his song was in uh, I think it was in the early '50s. He, he put that song out, and and it goes. Uh, he's he's singing the song, and then he breaks into this trumpet solo in the middle, and he it's 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 big and strong and and it punches really hard and then he just takes it to the top we may hear that later don't know yet we'll see so uh lewis was actually accused of making the coronet sound like a clarinet now clarinet's a, a reeded instrument right it's that long tube the black one with a bunch of things so the cornet's position in a, an ensemble is a support, right? They support the melody. Well, Lewis didn't really care for that too much. He wanted more, more active role. So he would take that active role with his cornet. And, and, and Renault was actually one of the ones, Kid Renault was one of the ones who, who criticized him for that. He's, he's, he's stealing the job of the clarinet and by, by using the cornet. And there was a... Uh, this uh, the study done by it's not it's an article excuse me uh, Brian Harker wrote uh, Armstrong and the clarinet for the uh, the Journal of American Music um, volume twenty one uh, number two summer of two thousand three pages one thirty seven through one fifty eight uh, and he talks about how Armstrong's style of music derived from his his desire to do more than just support. So he changed the role of an instrument in, the, in, in an ensemble. That's amazing. Just by saying, I don't like it. So he's playing. He's doing all these carving things. He works on a riverboat for a while. Uh, and uh, where, you know, things are, are kind of interesting on, on the riverboat. So some, some silly stories. He gets really interested in marijuana. He's, he's digging the weed. And here comes a fun story about Louis Armstrong and weed. So, in 1930, uh, Armstrong is in California. And he's playing a club. And he's out in the parking lot between sets. And he's lighting it up with, uh, I think, the drummer or somebody. I, I forget who exactly. And a couple of detectives walk up. Now, here's the problem. Uh, these are <laughs> white detectives, uh, a couple of uh, black musicians in the 1930s. Not a great time. But the cops know who he is. So they go into the club. They let them finish the set. They then bring him out, arrest him, put him in the car. Lewis gets put in into a car with a, a cop on his own. So he's obviously, you know, you can tell he's a little nervous, and he's he's talking about this in his memoirs, and he recalls this uh, as, on his ride in there. 
uh, into the station. Uh, now this detective starts to talk to him like, man, I'm a huge fan. I love your stuff. My family listens to you all the time. So now here's his cop. He is, uh, he's super, you know, fangirling over the guy he just arrested for smoking weed. And, and Lewis starts to play into that a little bit, trying to make sure everything's good. And he's like, Hey, just if I could ask a favor, if you're going to work me over, please just don't bust up my face. I've got a gig coming up soon. So he asks him not to, not to bust up his lips because he's got to play. So he then proceeds to the station. The station, the guys in the station recognize him, uh, love his music, and start talking to him as he's as he's booking, right? And, and it's a very cordial night. He's still going to jail. Like he's still getting processed. They they don't feel, you know, there's no love lost. They they're they're a fan of his and they put him in this cell and and he goes on to tell the story about this his two other cellmates who one night got into a fight and they're thrashing about the cell and they they both uh, yell at him to tell him to like get in the corner and protect your chops because they know how valuable his lips is so for nine days he sits in uh in a jail cell for smoking weed and he so weed he loved weed a thousand times more than he liked whiskey which uh i can't say i'm too mad at him for that but you know uh i, I like whiskey whiskey I, I just like whiskey Uh, he also now at this point in time, he is heading up to actually he's at this point in time, he's already playing for, uh, King Oliver in Chicago. This is where Lewis will meet his second wife. Lil Harden is her name. She's actually the pianist for, uh, King Oliver's, his band and, and they get together and they kind of do their thing. So 1924, they're married and she's the one that encourages him to kind of step out on his own and start the hot fives and sevens. So this is Lewis's first band on his own, right? And it included uh, uh, Kid Ori, who played the trombone, Johnny Dodds on the clarinet, uh, Johnny St. Cyr played the banjo, uh, and then Lil was on the piano, and they didn't have a drummer. Now, when they went to the Hot Sevens, uh, they added in a, a drummer and then a, another guy, but there, you know, it kind of sounded like it was a, like a rotating piece. It wasn't a hard uh, set cast, and... The Hot Fives was where Lewis got his his hard start on his own. So he's married to Lil in 1924. There until right around 1930-ish time frame is when uh, they separate. So Lewis doesn't have a lot of good luck with women. He just he just doesn't. Uh, they separate and and he starts dating a, a lady by the name of Alpha Smith. I looked hard, maybe not hard enough and maybe in the wrong place. So if somebody's got uh, some insight into where I can find some more information about Miss Smith uh, or Mrs. Alpha Smith Armstrong, I don't even know how to, what, what she would go by, but Alpha Smith, uh, that could, that would be willing to share that information. I would love to learn some more about her because she's kind of this, this mysterious character that, that is just shows up, um, it annotates that they they dated for a long time, many years, while he was separated, and then he got married to her right after he divorced Lil Harden in 1938. Um, uh, now, their marriage wasn't so successful. It only lasted four years. Uh, again, it was one of those loud and violent kind of deals. So, uh, which, you know, uh, four years, it happens. During all of this time, Recording technology 
happens. So from the time he's first playing his music until, you know, in the 19, the mid-1920s, if you want to listen to Louis Armstrong play and sing or do whatever, you have to be there in person. So he, his first record gets recorded, and now Lewis starts to obsess with recording. Over his lifetime, he would record 2,000 hours of everyday life. He would have a recorder going all the time. He captured 2,000 hours of his life on, uh, well, it would, have been a, it would have been like a reel-to-reel type recorder. It was noted that he had this uh, this big, beautiful thing up on his bookshelf. So when people would come to visit his house, you know, they would be sitting there and it would be kind of, it wouldn't be, it would always be recording, but it wouldn't be recording to where it was awkward. And a lot of his, his arguments and stuff, uh, whenever he would argue with his wife, those were recorded, normal stuff. So, and all of these, you know, 2,000 hours of, of Louis Armstrong's life were there. He was, in essence, our first YouTuber, right? <laughs> so, you know, the father of jazz, the, you know, the guy who is the, the ambassador of, you know, music uh, across, the, you know, for America and all this other stuff, um, is, is also one of the first, you know, blog, podcast, YouTuber type deals. So, <laughs> uh, in, a, uh, in an article... Uh, called For Posterity, The Personal Audio Recordings of Louis Armstrong. Ben Alexander just digs into the content of this, and he finds amazing stories and recollections and shares a lot. Of, he did the work, you know, that 2,000 hours. That's a long freaking time. This show might be 30 minutes long, right? So that times two times 2,000, that's, that's, a, lot of, that's, that's a lot of content. Um, really encourage you to, again, it's called For Posterity, the personal audio recordings of Louis Armstrong. Dig into that. It is phenomenal um, what Ben pulls out of that and is and shares and so many silly little insights from his, uh, he was well known to enjoy uh, laxatives. So weight control, like laxatives for weight control, but but it was more than just the weight control. It actually, uh, Ben finds that he has this connection to, um, oh, I forget what he calls it, uh, but but it's a, uh, it, it's a cultural thing, how uh, expressions uh, of your your GI tract, you know, having healthy expressions of your of your bodily functions, uh, kept you in balance. You know what I mean? Um, so so it wasn't necessarily just a weight thing; it was also some cultural stuff mixed in there. And his favorite was Swiss Chris. Like that was his, it was this herbal laxative that he, you know, he signed, you know, and, and on these little boxes where he would keep his recordings that he would decorate, you know, you can see the pictures of these boxes have, you know, little Swiss Chris like logos taped on them and stuff. And I believe there was a, a, a Christmas card of him, like, like looking through a, like it was like looking, like you're looking through a keyhole at him sitting on the toilet and, you know, not crass, you know, he's like leaning forward. So you can only see from like the shoulders up and then. You know, it mentioned Swiss Chris and Christmas or some shit. I, I don't know. <laughs> it was uh, it was pretty interesting. So, being the very first person to be able to hear yourself play, 
and the profound impact that that had on him and the amazement that 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 started with you know that it started an amazement for him in recording in in audio recording and to be able to do all of that and continue and to keep all of this stuff, it is thought that, um, you know, uh, Alexander says uh, he was trying a to conduct a conscious shaping of post uh, posthumous identity. A conscious, oh, good Lord. This whiskey's really good tonight, friends. It's really good. So a conscious shaping of posthumous identity. I think he did a good job. I think he did a great job uh, of that and, listening to some of the clips and, and reading some of the the transcript of, of these recordings. Uh, he, he did he did a great job of that. So let's talk about uh, a lot of these recordings are done uh, with his fourth wife and final wife, by the way, uh, Lucille Wilson. So they were married in 1942 and they were married to Lewis's death. She was a dancer at the Cotton Club. That's where they met. Lewis was taken aback by her beauty, her dark complexion, and and they became a thing. Now, I think Lucille stuck around so much because she was the only wife to actually get Lewis to buckle down and buy a home. So in Queens, uh, in the Corona District of Queens, they bought a house, which is now a museum, so you can actually go and see the, the Armstrong Museum in this this neighborhood. But some of their neighbors included Ella Fitzgerald, Duke Ellington, James Brown, and Dizzy Gillespie. Can you imagine those parties? Holy shit. And the collaboration that happened with all of that, that's, oh, that would be so, so amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, uh, some of the quirks, some of the weird stuff about him. Louis Armstrong also inspired some of the greatest voices that we know uh, to this day. So you have people like Bing Crosby, Frank Sinatra, uh, all these these folks who credit Armstrong as an influence to to perform and to to get involved in music. And if we think about his career, his first hit song hit the records or hit the charts in 1926. He again hit the top of the charts in 1964. In 1964, he beat out two Beatles songs for the number one song in the in the country. With Hello Dolly, he grabbed old Bab Streisand and and belted out a song, and it beat the Beatles. I think that's 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 pretty crazy to to kind of think, and that, that's something I had no idea and, until I started digging into uh, digging into some some of this stuff. It was uh, really fascinating we we get the the big chunks and the pieces right we knew he's from new orleans everybody knows he's you know he got arrested and that's where he learned how to play and you know the the fun little story about his first cornet i didn't know and then knowing that he he literally smoked uh john lennon and his boys <laughs> off the charts with a broadway musical piece 
That's that's crazy. So so here he is, and and he starts in the, the early. So he's he's around for the Roaring Twenties. He goes through the Depression. He goes through. He's he is alive and well for both world wars for Vietnam uh excuse me well kind of Vietnam he died uh in 71 so uh, for for the starting parts of it but uh Korea the civil rights movement he was around for that now Armstrong took some some hits for his in his action or his inaction for the civil rights movement in an article by Charles Hirsch for uh, from Cleveland State University for uh, Polity, um, the article is titled "Poisoning Their Coffee: Louis Armstrong and Civil Rights." So, in this article, Hirsch goes through and talks about Armstrong's position and what he did. Now, he he did come out in the late fifties against uh, Eisenhower and talk about you know his his bullshit policies and da 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 da, and then he refused to go be an ambassador uh, of the states. Because of that, so that was one of the the very few outward, like straight up, straightforward uh, stances that he took uh, in referencing poisoning their coffee. Right, so popular musician, uh, popular with with the the white population of the country, he had a position and a and a place to to use uh, as a platform. And instead of being very outward and vocal with it, he he kind of took some I don't know some like some like backdoor stabs at it, maybe maybe a little passive aggressive turns. Uh, but Hirsch goes through this uh, pretty pretty extensively and and talks about how you know a, a lot of musicians were were kind of pissed off at him because he wasn't being active enough. And but how the the small little actions, the smiles, the way he talked, the language he used, the things that he did on stage that were very subtle, uh, and that's where the the poisoning the coffee gets from. He wasn't you know up there fighting them fist to fist. He was he was killing them with kindness from behind. Passive, not passive, you know, how whatever you, you derive from that is, is whatever you derive from that, and that's fine. But, you know, it, there was action taken by him. It was just subtle. The guy wanted to play music. He wanted to make music. He wanted to be an entertainer. And by God, he did that. He, he sure as hell did that. Now, Armstrong was not immune to any of... Uh, any racism at all. Uh, he was revered, and as we talked earlier about the the police officers who really enjoyed him but arrested him anyway, uh, he even at one time had his uh, trumpet taken or attempted to have it taken. And it talks about this show where uh, the cops are kind of sitting in the back during the show, and at the end of the show they come up and they're like, hey, is that your trumpet? Well, uh, Armstrong with one of his buddies in the band had... had they kind of knew something was going to happen. So what they did is they switched the trumpets. So his trumpet was actually in this other dude's hands, and this guy's trumpet was in the case. And they're like, hey, is that your trumpet? And yes, sir, that's my trumpet. And the cops come in, and they take the trumpet. They take it. They think they're taking they're, they're taking his strength, right? His his strength is in that instrument, and they're taking it from him. But luckily, he had, he had switched it out. Um, and 
you know, so so acts like that, and then he goes in and talks about some some of the things that happened on the riverboats where you know you did not engage the people on the boats. Period. You were simply there to play music. That was the only thing you were there to do. You didn't talk to them. You didn't mess with them. And if you did mess with them, you got kicked off the boat, literally mid-river, uh, beaten, or or worse. So as we talked about earlier, in 1963, uh, Armstrong became the oldest person to have a number one hit uh, with Hello, Dolly, and he, uh, he ousted a couple of uh, Beatles songs to do that. Talking about his, his passing in 1971, there was an article written about him, kind of gave his life story. And I, one of the, I think one of the most wholly encompassing quotes uh, about Louis Armstrong was in this article. I'm going to read uh, uh, the, two, the two chunks of it. And this is, this is from, it's called An Episode Ends in American Music. It's from the Music Educators Journal, Volume 58. Uh, number one, 1971. And it does not list an author. All right, so this is what, uh, this is what the, the author wrote. When he, speaking of Armstrong, died this past summer at the age of 71, he was remembered by most listeners as a fabulous showman, a popular entertainer, and a charming ambassador of goodwill. But among musicians and music buffs who recalled his earlier days, he was always known as an artist of tremendous magnitude, not only an innovator whose name was synonymous with jazz, but one of the towering figures in the entire spectrum of American music. The author then goes on to say, writing of Armstrong's solo on Big Butter and Eggman, composer-educator Gunther Schuller has stated, no composer, not even a Mozart or Schubert, composed anything more natural and simply inspired. One man made such a profound impact on American music. Born and raised in the country from poverty to musical royalty. There's probably a bunch of musicians that have glide paths that are about that same trajectory. But here's a guy in and amongst Jim Crow, the civil rights movement, everything else, overcomes everything and becomes a staple. Not only a staple, but becomes, quote, synonymous with jazz and a towering figure in the entire spectrum of American music, unquote. Louis Armstrong, trumpet player, singer, performer, entertainer, iconic, and amazing. One of the things Armstrong was known to do, he was known to use his voice in place of a trumpet. And what I mean by that in the structure of a song a lot of his singing you can hear kind of kind of dirty and muffled. And then he would cross over into the trumpet, and that trumpet would take that clarinet roll again and just be clean and clear with the melody up over the top and beautiful. So he he revered, like he he was able to mix and and adjust his 
performance with not just instruments, but with his voice as well, and was able to play parts of a of a compose of a composition with his voice. Had that that type of command of music. It, it fascinating and phenomenal. I owe you a, a clip or two. Uh, I'm just real small little little blips. I'll I'll share with you some of some of my favorite parts or chunks of his songs. And the first one is going to be what I talked about earlier. It's called "A Kiss to Build a Dream On," and this is the part where Lewis stops singing picks up his trumpet, and gives us a little something on the trumpet. Now let me tell you something. This song, if you <laughs> look at the lyrics of this song, I laughed. Because <laughs> immediately I connected this song to Green Day. Green Day, yes. The, the, the punk rock band of the late 90s, early 2000s. Yes, those that Green Day. And on their uh, uh, Dookie album, I think it was, like the last song, I don't remember what it was called, but it, it's just like, I was alone, I was all by myself, no one was looking, right? And that, that song, I, I don't remember what that song was called, but, <laughs> you know, it, it referenced, you know, uh, being alone and, and enjoying oneself. Well, if you look at the lyrics to A Kiss to Build a Dream On, uh, Armstrong kind of kind of says that almost exact same thing. Uh, you know, he's he's talking about this uh, this this lady, and it's a you know when when he's alone with his fancies, <laughs> he's thinking of you, and it, <laughs> it just made me chuckle. So here is a. Uh, a quick little chunk uh, of Lewis playing the trumpet on A Kiss to Build a Dream On. What you alone can give A kiss to build a dream on See what I'm saying? Holy shit, right? So so he's got that that rough, gruff kind of voice. Sounds like he smokes a bag a day. Uh would have been a pack of joints, but whatever, you know? And uh but then he comes in with that just crisp, clean, bold, uh powerful drive with the trumpet and 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 then not only that, so it's here's this beautiful, clean tone, just singing the melody line, and then he takes it and he puts it on the roof 
uh, hits just crazy octaves. And his embouchure, his lip strength was unbelievable. His lips ended up getting so fucked up, though. He he ended up having to like cut skin off. Like he uh, built calluses up on his lips, and instead of taking care of him with like lip balm and stuff, uh, he would end up just like chopping them off. And and his lips were were nasty, just in gross and, and in terrible shape. So the next one, uh, it's another chunk of his uh, his trumpet work. It's the song "They Can't Take That Away from Me." And real quick, just gonna 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 play you this this little chunk of him getting down on his trumpet once again. Swing it, boys. You got Ella Fitzgerald coming in. A little bonus for you there. Um, so that was uh, They Can't Take That Away From Me. He sang that with Ella Fitzgerald. And you just get that, that again, that clean and crisp. Uh, man, my, my musical terminology is, is fading from me. I used to, I was a huge band nerd. Uh, <laughs> huge band nerd. And, and it's all fading from me. But it's muted, and then it, and, and then he does. He he loved to dance and, and dance up in that that higher range, right? And and almost to the point where it, it's became familiar. So I'd be willing to bet if I sat you down and said, "Hey, I'm going to play you some some jazz," and I want you to guess who that is. If I were to play you any of those last those last two trumpet sections, I'm guessing that that would be the person that you say, hey, no, that, uh, Louis Armstrong, even if you were just shooting in the dark, that would be the name you pull because we're all familiar with the music. It's all there. It's awesome. It's fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. So a couple of his cooler songs, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll talk to you about, I won't, I won't play it for you, but, uh, uh, let's call the whole thing off with again with Ella Fitzgerald. That was uh, I think that's a Sondheim song. Really, really well done. His Gone Fishing that he did with Bing Crosby. So he was on the Bing Crosby show, and they sang everything live, but they wanted to record it specifically. So they recorded it like the day before, and then they went on. And the version that you hear is the actual live radio version uh, that's on all of the you know all of the Armstrong collections that you can go find so it's it's legit him and Bing Crosby Lewis and Bing Crosby singing uh, Gone Fishing and 
it's uh, <laughs> it's one of my it's one of my favorites. It's not a lot of trumpet work. It's just just him. I mean, he's playing. He's in with a band, but the trumpet has a backseat here, and it's him and Bing singing, and his voice kind of takes over on this one, and, and it's really really fun. So, Hello Dolly, the one where he uh, the the chart topper in the, the early '60s. Uh, that's another one. Barbara Streisand kind of leads that that song coming in, uh, but he's got a a singing part and a trumpet part to play in that. And and he did a cameo in the movie. They they did a the movie off of the the stage show for that. And that was that was pretty pretty good. So you can you can see Lewis actually singing and uh, holding the trumpet and going going at it as he as he does. So that, my friends, is going to wrap it up for me and for Louis Armstrong. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I hope we uh, we shared some information that maybe you didn't have. I know there's been a couple of podcasts that have done uh, little episodes on him, other podcasts uh, here real recently. So I was getting gathering up all this stuff, and all of a sudden I start seeing some of the other podcasts that I listen to also doing parts on on Louis Armstrong, and they have some great information. So if you do a quick search of podcast with Louis, uh, you can get even more. You know, I, I really just kind of scratched the surface of who this guy was, a little bit about his his personal life and some about his music, uh, and and mostly just my enjoyment of of him as an artist and uh, and the history behind behind who Armstrong really was. So I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you have. A wonderful evening, my friends. Stay tuned for more. I promise I'm coming at you with more. Uh, We've got a a lineup of shows coming soon that'll come out with a little bit more consistency. And we've got some really fun topics coming up and some guests that are sure to entertain, uh, educate, inspire, and do all those other fun things that guests do. I don't know. Anyway, have a great night, friends. Cheers. hope you enjoyed today's episode and as always if you have any comments questions or would like to join me at the bar questionable life choices for an episode hit me up on email at whiskeyhistory at gmail.com cheers <laughs>